first Sunday of 2020. I believe God has a word for us. And if we will pay attention and open up, uh, open up our hearts and apply the word to our hearts, I believe God would do something new, that he will plant seeds in our hearts that will take us throughout this year and that we will bear fruit. Amen? Amen. So I want to begin by showing, showing you a picture. Where's that picture? How many know that dude? Olaf from Frozen. <laughs> huh? <laughs> then you're frozen, eh? <laughs> Just kidding. That's my man. That's my friend. Don't worry. That's my friend. <laughs> All right. I want to tell you about Olaf and what happened in a scene where he sings a song in summer, because that's my favorite sin. I, I re, you know, I had to watch it over and over again because I just like the conversation as it begins. Because Olaf is imagining what it would be like to be in summer, but he's a snowman. And Christoph is concerned. He asked the question, I'm guessing you don't, ex- you don't have experience, much experience with heat. And he says, Olaf says, nope. But sometimes I like to close my eyes and imagine what it would be like when summer does come. Ah. Then he starts the song. Bees will buzz. Kids will blow dandelion fuzz. And I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. A drink in my hand. My snow up against the burning sand. Probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. And then he goes on and on to talk about how he's going to look when his friends see him in summer. What they will think of him. He can't wait to see how, how his friends will react when, he's, when, he, when they see him in summer. But he's a snowman. And all the while, Christophe is watching and says, I'm going to tell him. Tells Anna and says, I'm going to tell him. And Anna says, don't you dare. And then they walk after the song when he says, in summer. He finishes the song. Then he goes on. He walks away. And Sven, the dog, is it? The deer, walks away. And Anna also walks away. And Christoph is like, someone's got to tell him. Somebody's got to tell him. And you know what? That's where I got the title of this message. Someone's got to tell him. Because Olaf is going down a destructive path. He's wishing something for which he's not designed. And someone's got to tell him. But you know what's, what's, what's good about this story is that there is a young man in the text that we're going to read who is just like Olaf. And someone's got to tell him. So let's go to the book of Acts. Chapter 20, verse 7 to 12. I'm reading from the NIV version. NIV version. It's a story about Eutychus. A young man named Eutychus. So I'm going to read from verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, 
kept on talking until midnight. There were many lumps in the upstairs, upstairs room where we were meeting. Verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on a young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Church, amen. amen. Yes. <laughs> you know, I just like amens. All right, I'll leave it there. <laughs> I want to make two statements. The first one is this, that some deaths, some calamities, some accidents, just like that one in the text, where somebody falls asleep and dies, can be avoided. Let me bring it closer and say that some backslidings, some misfortunes that people, people of God suffer can be avoided. Do you believe that? They can be stopped. Before it moves from bad to worse, it can be interrupted and redirected so that there, there's no calamity, there's no accident, there's no death. That's the first thing I'm making, the first statement I'm making. The second one is this, and it comes from our vision statement. If you, if you are here for the first time and you looked to your left when you entered the, the door, you must have been greeted by our vision statement to this side of the building. And it says, we are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Join us as we... Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. You see, the growth or the, 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 the success of any movement, the growth of any movement or organization like this church is in direct proportion to its capacity to mobilize its, to mobilize its members to the propagation of its beliefs. And one of the things that we believe here at View Church is that community matters. And that each and every believer has been called to add value to the kingdom. To increase the number of Christians or believers in some kind of way by serving in some kind of capacity. And we believe that it's a responsibility of every member in the church to add value. That's the second statement. So I'm going to get into the, into the text, into the cracks of this text, but I want to pray. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to look at your word, to hear what you have to say. We pray that we may capture your heart, that God, we may hear what you have to say to us. Lord, let our hearts be filled with your ideas, our minds be filled with your ideas, that God, we may embrace that which you want us to embrace this evening. We pray that God, on this first day, of uh, first Sunday of, of 2020, God, may you do something new in our hearts. May you plant seeds that are going to grow and bear fruit in this year and moving on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, this text is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the sequel or season two of the gospel of Luke. Luke, the man who, who was Paul's companion, wrote this account of the things that happened from the beginning. And in the gospel of Luke, he actually says that he set out to put together an orderly account of the things that took place from the time Jesus was born to the time he served to the time he died and rose again and ascended. And in part two, which is the book of Acts, it's all about the continued work that that was continued through the disciples as the spirit was poured on them and the, 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 the word of God had spread out and many people had become believers. That's what he's doing for us. And in one of those missionary journeys, as he journeyed with Paul, they went to a city called Troas. Now, Troas was just one of the cities, just one of the places, just one of the stops that they made and Paul was giving a speech. He was teaching them principles. Now, you see, Paul was deeply theological. He was explaining fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. And he's explaining these things to them so that they get, to, they, they get, a, they get a hold of what Christianity is all about, what relationship with God is all about. Now, this guy was detailed. And he was a medical doctor. How many doctors in here? How many physicians? <laughs> he was a medical doctor. Now, you see, doctors in those days, they had weird beliefs. They believed that health or a human being's health was a result of four bodily liquids that needed to be balanced at all times. And if you got these four in balance, you'll be a healthy person. So he talks about bodily fluids like phlegm, blood, Black bile and red, yellow bile. And if you got these four in balance, you were a healthy person. Now, I know that sounds weird. But these guys were doctors. They were detailed. And even the Hippocratic oath that people take to this day when they are, you know, when they are licensed to actually work, do the work of a, a, a medical doctor was there 400 years before Jesus Christ was born. So the medical practice was there. Why am I telling you this? I want to verify and endorse Luke's testimony about this incident. When he tells us that, that the young man fell asleep and died, he was there to witness it. As a medical doctor, this guy fell and died. He dropped dead. And that was a tragedy. Now, Paul, he prolonged his speech. He kept on talking and talking and talking 
until midnight. And while he was talking, a young man walks and finds his spot, a nice spot to chill, you know? And he falls asleep and dies. There were many lamps in the room. And, and, and Luke tells us that the ventilation was okay. You know, it was a big, huge house. It was a large upstairs room. And the windows were big enough for somebody to sit in there, meaning that the air was flowing, right? You see, we're trying to eliminate some things here. What could have caused him to sleep? Now, you see, many preachers have said about Paul that he was a bad preacher because he talked so long. And one time he spoke and a man fell asleep and died. And they use this text to say that Paul was a bad preacher. But I argue, no. What Paul was doing was that he, was, he had contextualized this message to his audience. Because in that setting, long-winded speeches were very, very praiseworthy. If you were able to take a subject and speak on it for long hours, then you were a good teacher. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. So it's, there's nothing wrong with his message. There's nothing wrong with the content of the message. He's actually engaging them. He's keeping them at the edge of their seats. You know, they're good like everybody's excited on Paul and listening to what he has to say. So you see, there's enough air, there's enough room, there's enough light. We eliminate all the things that could have caused a young man or anybody else to fall asleep. Why did he sleep then? Why did he put himself in such danger that he finds a spot, sinks into a deep sleep? Luke is emphatic about this deep sleep. I want to tell you that he slept because he was tired. That is profound, eh? <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, he slept because he was tired. Why? Because people get tired. When we get tired, we find a place where we, we feel comfortable and we get our snooze on. Right? Right? So Luke is not condemning Paul for talking so long that he caused the death of Eutychus. No, no, no. He's actually vindicating him. Okay? Let's look at the incident. Eutychus sits up on the stage story and he drops dead and dies because he was in deep sleep. Now, he was a young man. And the language used to describe his age actually places him in his 20s. A young man in his 20s. Energetic. You see, if anybody should have fallen asleep, it should have been the old folk, you know? Because, I mean, age and exhaustion, I mean, all the grace of God to the old folk, but you see, you get tired much faster, and the energy levels are not just the same as, you no, know, the younger people, right? So if anybody should have slept, should have been the older folk. 
and yet a young man falls asleep. And the word used to describe his, the depth of his sleep is, expresses an idea of a force that overpowered him. It overpowered his willpower that he couldn't resist it. So he sank into deep sleep and dies after falling from third story. You see the scenario, right? Have I painted the picture there for you? Now you see death before reaching manhood is a tragedy. But how is this even possible? Good environment, proper lighting, enough to keep someone awake, good ventilation, windows big enough for a young man to sit in, stimulating speech, relevant style, you know? I want to tell you that even in the body of Christ, even in a community like this one where everyone wants to know God, wants to love God, sincerely come, we can still get tired. We can still feel tired. But the argument I'm making is this, that some spiritual deaths or backslidings can be prevented, can be stopped, interrupted before they happen. And the first question I want to ask is this, where were his friends to nudge him, to poke him and tell him, dude, I'm, you mean, I know Paul was saying something profound, right? He's, he's delivering this theology and everybody is fixated on Paul just listening and holding up their lamps, right? But doesn't this guy have friends? Doesn't, doesn't he have a circle? Wasn't there somebody at least who just looked around and saw, you know, behold the guy in the corner who's putting himself in danger? Where were the people that cared about him? You see, again, I'm arguing that such a death should not have happened, should have been prevented. If somebody cared, if somebody looked around, if somebody just paused for a moment and you know, because, I mean, when, you, when we're in church, we want to mind our business. And in this world, people just want to mind their business. Especially when it comes to questions of religion. Religion these days is a private matter. Who are you to question me about my private religion? So it's a private thing, but it's not supposed to be. Your religion is something that you should be ready to tell the world about. And when we talk about our religion, which is more than just religion, it's relationship with God. It is something that we wear all over us, everywhere we go. And we are to be focused on Christ, but still able to look outside and see what's going on around us. As a believer, it's your responsibility to find a quiet time and seek God and be detached or isolated from people, right? And just find your own spot. Just engage with God. But that can also be dangerous, especially when you are tired because people get tired. There is nothing wrong with, you know, 
spending some alone time. But you see, isolation will cause you to enter into a place where you are defenseless. Solitude, on the other hand, is when we decide to spend time with God. But isolation, detaching yourself from the body of believers can be very dangerous. This is exactly what the young man does in the text. He moves away from everybody else and he finds a spot. And in that spot, something tragic happens. But it shouldn't have happened. So I want to propose three things to you this evening. I want to say to you that as Christians, as believers in 2020 and moving forward, we should change our culture, how we live, what we believe about church, what we believe about people, what we believe about the community of Christ. Culture is simply a way of thinking or behaving or working that exists in a place or an organization. And as a church, we have a culture. It's a culture of engaging with God, loving God, loving people, and living in community, adding value, being a part of what God is doing in these days. So our culture needs to change the way we think and feel about the things of God. So the first thing that I want to propose to you is that we must embrace a culture of concern for one another. Amen? A culture of concern for one another. If only somebody had just paused for a minute and looked around, watched what's going on around they could have seen that there was somebody who was struggling to stay awake and they had put themselves in a, in, in a dangerous position and could have gone there and just nudged him or find a seat somewhere or maybe just send them home if they, if they were too overpowered by the sleep or tell them to stand up. But no, everybody was busy with their own thing. Everybody's busy looking at Paul. And there was Eutychus. Nobody to nudge him. Friends, there are things that you were designed to accomplish in this life. There is a purpose for your life. You have gifts that other people don't have. What you have, I need it. What I have, you need it. That's how God works. No tree eats its own fruit. Have you ever seen a mango tree? You know, <laughs> Never. What you have in you, what God has put in you, is meant for me to benefit. Your gifts are meant for me, and if you take them away, you see, in, in law, there are two ways you can steal from a person. The first is to take what belongs to them without their permission, without them allowing it, they just take it and make it mine. I'm stealing. But the second way we steal is to withhold something from someone to whom it rightfully belongs. You owe me. You owe me your presence. You owe me your gifts. You owe me your talents. 
And in order for my purpose to move forward, I need to feed off of your wisdom, your gifts, your talents, and your time. Because it's all about relationship. It's all about community, friends. So don't steal from me. Don't be a robber. I need you in my life. I need you in community. In order for the community of Christ to keep growing and moving forward, I need your time. Have a look at what the message says, uh, what, what, the, what, what the Bible says in Romans 15 verse 2. It says, each of us should please our neighbors for they are good to build them up. Romans 15 verse 2. But in the message version, I, I like the message version. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? It takes intentional effort. Yes, you can mind your business, but you see, the fact that I, I'm in this community I should be your business in some kind of way. And I'm not saying you go to everybody and poke them and harass them, you know. No, no, no. But I'm talking about relationship. It starts with a conversation. Hi, how are you? My name is Moff. Or if I, if I, if I feel free to tell you, I'm Moffigo, you know. And we spark a conversation. I've, I've had meaningful conversations with a lot of people, with a lot of you here. Guys, it is something you intentionally do. You take the step. And it's awkward sometimes. But you see, awkwardness is just up here. But somebody has to take a step. You need to take a step towards this. It's purpose. It's you adding value to somebody's life. You have no idea how many problems you can solve just from a conversation. So don't rob me. I need you. Eutychus needed somebody to walk up to him and tell him, dude, don't be a fool. Look where you're sitting. You will fall and die. It's a warning. And a warning is, a, is proof that somebody cares. That's what God did in the garden when he, when he created Adam and Eve. He, he put them in a garden. He told them, do not eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because when you, the day you will eat of it, you will die. That's a warning. Why did he warn them? Because he cared. That's how you prove that you care. So it's a culture of concern for one another. Philippians 2 verse 4. It says, we should not look to our own interests alone, but each of us should, should look to the interests of others in the message, it says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. How's that? That's wonderful. But it, it, it calls for a culture, a change of culture, a culture of concern for one another. Second thing that I want to propose to you is that we must embrace a culture 
of accountability. When you are accountable, it means that someone is in some kind of way responsible over you, that you are answerable to somebody. Because you see, accountability simply means it's, it's the quality of being accountable, especially an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. You need to have a confidant, somebody to whom you're vulnerable, somebody to whom you are open and say, dude, I messed up. You see, I feel like I'm, I'm sleeping slowly into my old addictions. I can't go back there. It was so bad. I was so wounded. I need somebody to pray with me. That is accountability. The answers that you need to your issues, whatever they are, the answers are right here in community. You could be seated to the answer to the problem that you've been fighting for many, many, many years right now. And all it would take is just a conversation where you're accountable. That's why we're encouraging people to get into formation groups where you discuss life, where you do life together, where you go just, just you know, a small group of three or four talking with each other and discussing matters. And I know it's a risk. It's, it's risky to do that because nobody wants to be vulnerable. I, I don't want to strip naked and for you to see where I'm weak because we all want to be strong, you know, especially us men. It's more, you know, a lot more difficult for us men to open up and be vulnerable with our fellow men. But you see, it's a step of faith and God honors steps of faith. You could be just a meter away from your answer. Be accountable. Be accountable. Have a look at what James says in the fifth chapter. James 5, verse 16 to 18, in the message version again. Whoa. Just, I think just 16 maybe. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may live together whole and healed. It's a direct result of confessing our sins or our faults to one another. We get healing. And I think it's Jason who, who, who likes to say this, that we get forgiveness from God. When we say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. But when we take an extra step and confess to another person, a believer whom we know calls upon the name of God out of a pure heart and they love God and they care about community and we confess to them, that is where we get healing. That only happens when we're accountable. Amen? Finally. I know people love the sound of that word. Finally. <laughs> We need to embrace a culture of alertness. So we've talked about a culture of concern for one another, culture of accountability, and now a culture of alertness. I am responsible for my hunger for God. No one can worship God for me. Nobody can do the things better than I can do for me. You know what I mean? 
Eutychus detached himself, put himself in danger in a position where he wasn't alert anymore. Having seen what sleep can do to somebody, that it can actually lead to a death of some sort, let us embrace a culture of alertness. Alert, asking the question, what is going on in my life, in the circles around me, in the people around me? You see, I've embraced this habit uh, of whenever I, I think of a person or when they come, just pop up, you know, because randomly sometimes you just have this face come or you think about this person or you remember some incident. You know, I've started to just offer up a little prayer. God, thank, thank you for Matt. Thank you for putting him in my path. God, you are full of purpose. And you know why he's in my life right now. I pray that I will never waste his presence or his involvement in my life. That I will cherish the fact that I have him in my life. And you pray just like that. You are alert. You are concerned. You are, you are thinking about what value you can add. To be alert is to be awake at all times. To know what is going on in the world around you. To know what is going, what is happening. What are you doing, God? How can I play my role? What role can I play in the first place? Because that's the first question. What can I do? What is it that you want me to do, God? What is your agenda for me in this year, 2020? Why am I still alive? You see, you can only ask those questions if you are alert. Because alertness is a process of paying close and continuous attention. To what is going on around you. It's a culture. It takes intentional effort. And you need to step out of your comfort zone. And begin to embrace this culture. Of concern for one another. Culture of accountability. And a culture of alertness. Olaf is imagining things. That he has no idea about. He has no idea that heat and ice can't go together. But you see, how else is he going to know if somebody doesn't tell him? Someone's got to tell him. That believer or that young man in, in, you know, in church or wherever you may be found that is struggling with something, they think they're going along a path that will give them joy. Because you see, the Bible says that there is a way that looks right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. Someone's got to tell that person that they need to get right back and redirect the steps. Interrupt the destruction before it happens. But the part that I like about this text is that the young man rises at the end because you see, whether you are sleeping, because you see, you could be a Eutychus in some situation right now. 
where you're sinking into an issue and you're dying slowly. Something is eating at the core of your heart. Something that you don't want to share with anybody. You're tired. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is in this place and you can pray to God that he may raise you up, strengthen you, just like he raised this young man. You could be the other person who's fixated and concerned about what's going on and you're, you want to, you're busy with God and never looking around to see what's happening around you. I want to challenge you. Enlarge your circle. Open up. Give somebody some room in your life somehow. Have relationship. That's what God wants. This is what we believe here at View Church Milneton. We invite you to be part of the body. That's why we've got so many volunteers, almost 300, I believe, who volunteer in, in many different ways, adding value, giving God the glory, increasing the number of Christians. That's what God has called you to. I want you to stand to your feet. Because if you are slowly dying from something that is eating you up that you can't tell anybody else, God is here and you can talk to Him and He can raise you up, give you life from within. Because you don't have to die with that thing. There is hope. The young man walked home and everybody was rejoicing. Why? Because God touched his life. Even though he had foolishly positioned himself in a precarious situation. Dangerous situation. But I want to give you this challenge this year. Reach out to somebody. Be part of a life group. Be part of a formation group. Confess your fault to somebody whom you can trust, whom you know will pray for you. They will not divulge. They will not, you know, spread out and broadcast whatever issues you have, but they will stand with you in prayer. Life in Christ wasn't meant to be lived alone. It was meant to be lived in community. That is where you bear fruit. That is where you find somebody to help you control the quality of your fruit and tell you you're making progress or you're stagnating today. That will never happen if you don't open up. So I want you to lift up your hands and just pray to God. Ask God to help you. Help you in this year. This is a very important Sunday. The first Sunday of 2020. And you can make a commitment, make a decision to let God use you to be a part of what He's accomplishing in this church. I believe there's going to be growth in this church. I believe that God will do significant things. People will record miracles in this church and people who haven't had breakthroughs in this church for, for, for many years will have breakthrough in this year. And I declare it in the name of Jesus, but I, I want you to make a commitment to be a part of what God is doing. There is a life that needs your input. There is a life that is perishing and someone's got to tell him. Someone's got to tell them that there is hope, there is life, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is able to lift up those who are broken, those who are tired and give them new strength. So just in your own words, just pray to God. 
and I'll pray at the end. Thank you, Father.